playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol Extra Film Coated Tablets contain paracetamol. For pain relief, always read the label or leaflet. Playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by Panadol. Panadol Extra Film Coated Tablets contain paracetamol. For pain relief, always read the label or leaflet. Good morning. You identified. Hold on, no, let me. You, uh, let no, me, no, no, just a moment. On, Hang on, Father Sheehy. Sorry, Father Sheehy. This is not a. Hold on, hold on. Let me. Father Sheehy. Father Sheehy. This is not a homily. This is an interview. Ay ay ay! That's what you need of a Saturday morning. A good dose of sinning and scriptures, and scrapping. But before we get there, and we will, just in case you're wondering, what happens in your brain when you get agitated, angry, and upset? Well, according to Trinity Professor Ian Robertson, who spoke to Philip on Tuesday, it is all about the frontal lobes. One of the consequences of, of the red mist is that it dulls these control centres, particularly in the frontal lobes of our, our brain, which means that it's very easy for the, the, the kind of habits, the impulses to escape that would normally be suppressed. You know, someone might really irritate you at work and say something that really, or do something that really irritates you. But normally, if you're feeling in a normal state, your frontal lobes would send a message down to your amygdala where the emotion is generated, say, calm down, don't respond. And, you, and you'd bite your tongue and you wouldn't say mm-hmm. If you're feeling very anxious, supposing something bad's going on at home, for instance, your frontal lobes are occupied with that thought, that worry, and so they're not that that, that these me, these these resources are not available to inhibit these habits, these these habits, because habits of emotion can become habits, and then you say something bad to the back to that person who's annoyed you, and that of course inflames the situation. You end up with some terrible <laughs> animosity growing in the office between people. That's that's what happens. So people under stress. People who are angry, these two emotions become mixed and you get this kind of loss of control. Interesting. So when we are about to lose the head, bit of breathing, mindfulness, yes, that old chestnut, anything to create a gap between our emotions and our response. Philip went a bit old school with this suggestion. It came to ten. Ooh, simple. Count to ten. And according to Ian Robertson... Highly effective, but advice that it seems no one took on Wednesday. It had all started with a homily given at a weekend mass in Listole in Kerry, in which Catholic priest Father Sean Sheehy preached that sin was rampant in legislation that promoted abortion, transgenderism and homosexuality. Some parishioners at the Mass left in protest. And Father Sheehy's words prompted an apology from the diocesan Bishop Ray Brown, who said that those views did not represent the Christian position. So back to the news at one. A head-to-head worthy of Liveline. And fret not, the good father will pop up there too. But for now, this almighty scrap for airtime, and possibly the souls of the nation. The opening was short and to the point. Are you standing by the comments in your homily? I am, because it's based on the scriptures and the teaching of the church. And there you might be tempted to leave it. But no. Father she by what authority do you decide who are the sinners? I didn't... Uh, I, but the fact is, and I also explained to the people, I said, Jesus told us yes, he, that, that we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, 
all our soul, all our yeah, mind, and all that, our strength. But you identified. Hold on, now. let me. You, let, let no, me no, just on, a moment. Hang on, Father Sheehy. Sorry, Father Sheehy. This is not a. Hold on, hold on. Let me. Father Sheehy. Father Sheehy. This is not a homily. This is an interview. This I'm is asking. Not a I, I want to hold on one second. I want to explain the basis yeah. for my homily. And I've and asked you a question. By what authority do you decide? By what authority do you decide who are sinners or who aren't? It was the authority of the It wasn't my authority. It's the authority of the church and the authority of the scriptures. And you because reject Jesus you reject us, then you reject look, the authority of the bishop, do you? I did not reject the the authority of the bishop at all because I was based on the scriptures and the teaching of the church, which gives me the authority to preach the gospel. That's my that's the work of a priest. So the so bishop then the bishop then when, when he apologizes would you please would you please Father Sheehy, I'm going to ask Father Sheehy would you please listen to I am what I'm listening saying? Would you and people listen? can hear you quite clearly. Well, you, I'm you're asking, not listening. You're not listening. You you typical media you try to swing things the way you want them yourself. I'm and just asking you, do you accept the authority of Bishop Ray Brown? Would you let me finish what I'm saying? I said to the people, the believers in the church, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and body. And I said, is there any one of us, including myself, who, who does this perfectly? I said, no. And that's why we're all sinners. And I said, Jesus came specifically to call sinners. But I also said that unless we repent and admit our sinfulness, then we cannot receive okay. the benefit of his mercy and his forgiveness. Can I come back to the question? But Brian Dobson circled back. Do you accept the authority of Bishop Ray Brown? Of course I accept his authority, but by the same token, when he says to me that that's not the Christian uh, faith, then he needs to read the catechism and he also needs to read the scriptures as well. Bishop or no bishop, and that's a reality. Uh, uh, and he's obliged to follow the scriptures. He's obliged to follow the catechism uh, teaching of the church. But he has apologized to all who are offended. He's described your of remarks. Of course he has. You know why? I told him myself, I said, you have sacrificed the truth in order to appease people who do not want to face the reality of sin. Sorry, who's, and I said, who's sin is embedded in the culture. And it's also truth, enshrined in the legislation. Whose truth is that, Father Sheehy? It's, it's, it's your truth. It's a, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. Why would people leave when they hear the, the, the gospel? Only because they don't want to hear it. People walked away from Jesus. Did he follow them? No. Well, sorry, Father Sheehy, people, no, walked, people, it's, it's, people walked away from you. I presume you're not comparing yourself to, to Jesus Christ. I, I certainly am not, but I'm yeah. saying people walked away from the same word that Jesus spoke himself. They weren't walking away from me. They were actually walking away from Jesus Christ himself, which is why I said to the people... May the Lord help them because they need help. If we don't confront our sinfulness, which is certainly not done very much in this country, then there's no hope for the country. Hot and heavy on the news at one. And as you might expect, Liveline just a few minutes later, all over it. Here's Tommy, whose only surprise at all of this was that people were surprised. I don't know why Catholics are annoyed about it. All he's doing is, is just... He's just outlining the teaching of the okay. Catholic Church, all these languages interpreted. And I would say to Catholics, if you don't like it, then you're not obliged to go. The Catholic Church is an evangelical church, and he, he outlined that as well. He said it's his job to preach to people what, he, what the church teaches, namely that homosexuality is wrong, and that's his job. Where, did, where does it say that in the scripture? 
Well, it's, I, I can't quote the scripture, exactly. Joe, but we all know that the Catholic Church's official position is as that man outlined it. Now, albeit in temperate language, but he didn't say anything the Catholic Church doesn't stand over. And is the Catholic Church an interactive church? I don't know, Joe. It doesn't interact with me. Okay, you're not a believer. Um, I may be a believer, but I'm certainly not a believer in the Catholic Church. Okay. And then Jerry came on the line. He had been a priest for well over 20 years, but had come out as gay and made the decision to leave the Catholic Church. I left the yeah. church because I was a gay man who was not being accepted, not being accepted within the church as a gay man. And how long were you a priest, uh, Jerry? Over 30 years. Okay. And when I, you I, when, I, when you left, was there much compassion shown by your former confreres? No. No? Gone. Well. Gone. I'm sorry and to forgotten. hear that, Jerry. Gone and forgotten. That's another story, Joe. That's another story. And after, after 20 years plus whatever uh, study time um, and preparation, did like where did you land in the world? Like, had you got a pension or did you anything to fall back well, on? No, no. You leave the door and you walk behind me and the quotation was, she took of our poverty when you moved in, you have nothing when you go. So I left out and came away with nothing. I'm sorry. They looked, after, they looked after me for three years with, with rent. And that's it. Yeah. But after that, bye-bye, Jerry, you not been on to us. And have you and spoken to any of your... Oh, yeah, I, I, I trying to bring it to legal, but couldn't go any further with it because it's all, it's all canon law. It's I mean, a rented accommodation. OK. I, I'm lucky to have it. Good, good. good but good. my rent is... is, is, is I'm actually lucky where I am. So OK, I well say. done, yeah. well done. Yeah. And you deserve it, Jerry. you deserve it. Yeah. I no longer practice my religion. Mm-hmm. I give up going to Mass. Because I found the church totally, totally, absolutely irrelevant to the society we live in in 2022. And then for a second time under an hour, Father Sheehy was on the airwaves. The fact is, look, it's God treated men, male and female. Hold on. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. The Lord is good to all. Don't don't interrupt the word of the Lord. I'm reading it from Sunday's Sunday's liturgy. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. You said this on Sunday. Hold on, listen to this. You said this on Sunday. Did you mean it? Listen to this. He also said, he said, he said, I, you admonish and remind them of how they have sinned, that they may abstain from evil and trust in you, O Lord. Did you hear that Sunday? I heard a lot. Of, I've heard a lot of things. I've gone through I the liturgy, you, and obvi- obviously, obviously. Well, I can't say obviously because you're the man who believes all our referendums were fixed, and the result is not as as people. And you were one of the few people in the country that went in that had the intelligence. The intelligence to understand to understand about the paper. There was over How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you accuse? How dare you accuse people? But in the middle of it all, Sinead, who, in perhaps the most unlikely live line call ever, made the point that perhaps all this anger wasn't really helpful. I have learned to trust my reaction. I recognise when somebody is speaking from a place that just alienates. And the fact that this has been given airtime mm-hmm. is um, is reprehensible in itself because mm-hmm. but this, I don't think debate uh, 
in this form is going to lead to anything. I think debate is already happening. Conversation is already happening. But talking in the face of anger and bile and venom doesn't you achieve see, anything. What you're doing now, what you're doing now is, is you're judging me. You're judging me to be angry. You, you, don't, you don't even know me. And you see, you operate then on this judgment of yours as if the judgment were true. That's a false premise to begin with. It sounds like you're talking to yourself there as well. But false premises do not lead to reasonable conclusions. I, I agree, and I take your point. I may well be judging you, but I'm judging my own body's response to you. That's what I'm judging. And my reaction is, is that I wouldn't engage in a conversation under those conditions because I don't think one will get anywhere. But well, exactly thank you for right. the time. But the calls kept on coming. Gay and transgender people and their loved ones expressed hurt and anger. Theologians debated scripture. But by about 10 to 3, it all got too much for Father Sheehy. Obviously, this whole thing is stacked as well. Typical oh. media, isn't it? Oh. So, look, Joe, well, I'm terminating cool. this because, because it's totally stacked. And you have, you have stacked it, Joe, like you do what? with many other issues as well. Oh, so, we go. you come across the bias and, and a self-righteous yeah. attitude. And, and you're, not open, you're not even a good reporter or a good journalist <laughs> because you, you, are, you are fair to both sides so you and you're not. Sorry. Hello? So, goodbye, Joe. You goodbye. You're, 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 you're pathetic. You've reduced yourself to insulting people. What did it's you say to Sean, Sean, what did you say to me? Sean. Sean. Sean gone. Sean's gone. Talk to Joe. Live line. Spare a thought for the Darcy who followed. Into the nose. Out to the mouth. Into the nose. Out to the mouth. Back in a bit. Welcome back. With Philip to continue something of an ecclesiastical theme this week, Dr Lorcan Sir, Senior Lecturer in Housing at TU Dublin, and he came into studio to trace how our housing apartments versus a semi-D and even the layout and design of major estates in Dublin, the likes of Crumlin and Cabra, was influenced by the Catholic Church. If you look, uh, I take a helicopter view and you have the school in the middle, or you'll have the church in the centre and you'll have a boys and girls primary school next door to the church so the priest can have easy access in to make sure that religion was being taught. You'll have roads then radiating from the church and the school. Each of the houses then will have three bedrooms because you couldn't have boys and girls sharing a room. And you'll have the road names, uh, either saints or rural locations, and you'll have front and back gardens. That was to instill rural values. In other words, people will grow vegetables. But the most important thing that the church uh, wanted in, in housing was home ownership. They didn't like the idea of flats, um, particularly in the 1930s, because flats bred can, were, were, were much easier uh, vectors for social unrest. I remember 1913, 1916, 1921, we had a lot of trained people, soldiers and things back uh, from wars and things. So the church didn't like that. Actually, interesting, in the 1930s, the Nazis also didn't like flats. They wanted everybody to have their own individual house as well. Because what you have um, is what the engineers called in 1931 the, the moral dangers of the common stairwell. If you've ever been to tenements in Edinburgh, Glasgow, you know, three or four doors or flats on the one stairwell, it's very easy for social unrest to spread in these in these areas and it's much better for people to have their own houses and you can kind of contain people. And all of this, it seems, to foster a certain kind of politics. 
we know from uh, studies in loads of countries that homeowners are much more socially conservative than renters, for example. And you see it even even recently. In, I was in Brendan O'Connor uh, in here a few weeks ago looking at a, a business post-Ipsos survey and looking at renters and owners. And the homeowners were much more conservative in how they were going to vote compared to people who rent. And it's always been the case. And the, the church knew well that that they didn't want the rise of socialism in, the, in the, somewhere like Ireland. So if you promote home ownership, what you're essentially promoting is social conservatism and a much more stable and steady, in their view, um, society. And all of this impacted on the city and its housing architect, Herbert Sims, whose plans had to be approved by Archbishop John Charles McQuaid. And how differently might Herbert Sims have done things if he hadn't had to run everything past John Charles McQuaid? Yeah, I think Herbert Sims was a really good, uh, he was an English architect who, who, who spent some time in India. I think we would have had a, a far more flats, for example. We've had a greater proportion of our housing stock in the city centre would have been flats. And he was a brilliant designer of really, really nice flats, you know, kind of Bauhaus ones. You still see them in Greek Street on the back of Henrietta Street there in Dublin uh, and around the country. And he was he was a brilliant designer. And flats, flats for families, not just yeah. flat for single and, occupants. No, no, in those days, flats that's where for families we've changed now obviously um, but I think we would have seen a greater proliferation like I know we have a lot of flats around but actually it's nothing in comparison to when you look at you know some of the Germanic or the Central and Eastern European countries and the church didn't want them so therefore they weren't, weren't going to happen and But you could argue whatever the architecture back then many people did indeed have the option of owning their own homes Today home ownership is on the decline yeah, home ownership is very much uh, under threat. At the last uh, census in in twenty sixteen, Philip, so Ireland's home ownership, Ireland's home ownership was sixty seven point six percent. So just about two thirds of the population were homeowners. That's down from over eighty percent in the early nineties. And actually, wow. we're, we're below the European average. You know, we think everybody in Europe uh, are, are are all renters. They're not. About seventy percent of people in, across the EU uh, are homeowners. The US is sixty five percent. The UK is sixty three percent. So we're, we are on the decline and on the decline, decline quite rapidly. And there's a big urban-rural divide in that over 80% of people in rural areas are homeowners and like less than 60% in, in okay. urban areas. Oh, that is interesting. Dr Lorcan, sir, with Philip. Kelly is the title of a new book written by Kelly Harrington and Roddy Doyle. And as the book winner told Ray, he had only really a passing interest in the boxing before he and Kelly started work. I, I, remember, I very deliberately stayed away from, say, watching fights I hadn't seen. So it was up to Kelly to describe, to do all the descriptions. Yeah. So every word is hers, yeah. you know. Right. It was brilliant because I asked her, she said, oh, I just did the basics. And I said, look, I haven't a clue. What are the basics? Yeah. And she started talking and then she got up out of her seat and started right. wandering around the room doing the actions, <laughs> yeah. you know. So I, I was going home that day and it was quite elated, you know, because I thought there's definitely a book here because, you know, the way she described yeah. what she does. And when it came to boxing, it was just, uh, it was brilliant. There's a beautiful to. rhythm to this, isn't there? There is, yeah, 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 and that's part Kelly, part me, yeah, yeah. back to Kelly, yes, back yeah. to me, the Sparring. two of us, almost sparring, <laughs> yeah, 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 without the gloves, yeah. without, <laughs> without the terror. Yeah. I remember when we were going through it because I did have to keep getting up out of my seat to go However, over. Pro- proofreading it, she had to get up again and start <laughs> right. just to remind herself. Right. And as many will know, as a young one, Kelly had gotten into trouble, and her story might not have ended so well. It was tough enough, wasn't it, growing up where you grew up? Yeah, it was It was tough enough, like, um, in a sense, like, that you could go down any road. Any road is there to go down. And so that that's the tough part, is to to not go down that road. And if you are going down that road, then to try and get off it, you know. Yeah. But people seeing, without boxing, just people seeing the person that I was and 
I had a good character. I, had a, I was a, a good child. Apart from all the stuff that I was doing, you could see behind that, you know, mm. and, and, and I'm blessed for that. Because in the book, it's laid out, you know, you're, you're Robin from pennies and you're Robin here, there and everywhere. But, but yet your, your goodness shone through. <laughs> that, that's, Not all that, robbers are bad, though. Your ma said to you that you were hanging out with the, the wrong crowd. And you said to her, "There is no wrong crowd. Yeah. I, I am the. You know what I yeah, mean. You like, are the crowd. Yeah. I am the crowd. Like you <laughs> know, and oh, I knew that. And I loved my friends, and I still do love them. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I, that really got under my skin when my ma would say that because I always knew, like, no, I, I literally do what I want to do, and nobody's still, still to this day." Nobody tells me what to do, you know. And oh, you're very much your own person. <laughs> I'm very much my own person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And from a writer's point of view, this kind of honesty is invaluable. Kelly is quite strong in the fact that boxing saved her to a degree, mm. you know. And um, you know, so you need to know from what. Yes. And I mean, there are worse things to do than shoplift. Really, I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating. No. <laughs> but there are, there are worse things. There are a lot yes, worse yes, things, yes, and yes. actually, there are worse things in there. There, it's there well, are yes. more scary from a, the point of view of any reader or a parent. You know, you're reading the early chapters and you're wondering, oh, if you didn't know, yes, how it's going to end, you'd be a bit worried. So there was more going on than just the shoplift. Yes. But then came the boxing, and after that, the medals. Ray wondered what it was like to be in the ring and compete at the highest level. Do you know that expression, uh, somebody performed out of their skin? Yeah. Do you ever find yourself doing things that you, you're surprised at? Um, or is it all about preparation? Honestly, like, I, like I, I believe as long as I'm prepared and I give absolutely everything in training and I try my best not to leave any stone unturned, then... I I like when I'm going in there. I always have in my head that if I win, great. If I lose, then I have absolutely no one to 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 blame. I can't oh, yeah. turn and say, "Oh, it wasn't because of of that or anything." Yeah. You know, what a champion! And as the interview progressed, you got the sense that there was a rapport between the boxer and the writer. And of course, Roddy Doyle has form when it comes to sports books. He's already worked with Roy Keane, and there were, he said, similarities. What they have, a kind of single-mindedness, you know, which is an admirable thing, really, a focus on what they did and do. And on another level, they're such good company. They're brilliant communicators, you know. They're just, in, in in a very different way, the words just flow brilliantly out of her, you know. So we recorded everything. I was thinking, oh, that's going to be great. <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> that'll need a little bit of work. Oh, that's utter muck. But, yeah. <laughs> so, it was, so they have that in common. There's yeah. a lot in common. But I think, retrospectively, you, you, you gamble on it. You hope yes. it's going to be a pleasure. But, there was, it was, uh, but it was a pleasure. Roddy Doyle and Kelly Harrington with Ray. Now... How about a little bit of Mishafreshen? The whole collection is beautifully balanced. You'll never become tired of it. To put it in a nutshell... Break it down like this. with news of a unique opportunity to make a nostalgic journey back to that vibrant music, back to the great era. 
Celestial 78s which play more scratch than music. If we put one on the record player now, this is how it might sound. Ooh, and that should get you in the mood. Brace yourself. Here comes a young person. If somebody says to you Gen Z, do you do you like spit your coffee out laughing no, at them, or no, do you because no. you're like, or do you say, oh, that's so cute, old man? Like, <laughs> what, 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 how do you how do you take it? I would take it anyway. You can pronounce it any way you want. Well, no, <laughs> no well, the message is getting across to us. We we know what you're trying to say. But you definitely know that somebody's not in Gen Z if they say Gen Z. <laughs> Perhaps, You're perhaps. Just not, you just don't I, I want to be ages, doesn't yeah. yeah, We can't fun. be ages, no. Can't get cancelled. <laughs> that is Lily Rafferty, who is a very big deal on TikTok. Her content creation for Ryanair has seen her adding millions of likes and followers to their account. So take that, Boomer. And Ryan, knowing a lot more than he let on, got a tutorial. I mean, you've we've just met. Yeah. How would how would you TikTok me up or this up or you know? Oh, you could make a TikTok out of anything. It's important, I think, to know what your audience would like and sort of build on that. But playing into trends, trends, and like are a huge part of going viral on TikTok and the audio and sort of all that plays into you know getting views and going viral on what's, TikTok. What's on trend at the moment so, on TikTok? The trends change pretty much every yeah, day. I was wondering, every how do you day, keep up? Yeah, every day or every week. But you could post anything and it could go viral on TikTok. It's a little bit of luck and that plays into it. Yeah, yeah like we've done, I've done a few TikToks. By, by, yeah. the, we have young people here as well. Oh, uh, yes. And I, you saw me using air quotes. Um, but uh, And they do a little bit of TikToking uh, for us, you say, on the late, late particularly. Yes, I've seen it. You yeah. know, like they, they, they put a, a creature from the nightmare realm in my mm. dressing room last week. Yes, I saw that. Very scary. Terrifying yeah. experience. Now that was... Jump key. scare. Yeah, okay. Is that what that was? Yeah. I mean... A bit of a jump scare. Mm-hmm. Was that good? Yes. Did you yes, approve of that? I did. I did approve. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant on the TikTok. What about the Insta? Ryan does love a bit of Insta. Did you have a, a look at my Instagram? I did have a look at your Instagram, and, of and course. How, how is my game? I think your Instagram is brilliant. It's very authentic. You don't have to say that. No, it's very authentic to you. I think people just want to see, you know, a little bit about behind the scenes of your life. Uh, and that's what Instagram's about. It's It's not too polished. That's right. Yeah. Do you think it's real sort of dad Instagram? Yes, one hundred percent. I had a film. Yeah, you want to be so emphatic. It's not a bad thing. It's not a what bad does it, thing. What, what does that even mean? It's just the layout, I would say, of the photographs. Or, but you have highlights and stories, so that's a I, great I, I thing. Did, I, I had to ask somebody how to do that. Okay, um, but yeah, they are. It is very much uh, un, unfiltered, actually, for the mm-hmm. most part. But people um, love that. I yeah, it's great to see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think you're complimenting me, but I'm not sure. No, it is. 100%. I'm uncomfortable with, with my desire to be complimented. <laughs> That's the story of my life. It's not easy. That's for sure. Maybe, just maybe, we could turn back time. Do you ever wonder what life would was like without mobile phones and the internet? And do you ever wish... You could experience that for a week. 100%. Really? Yeah. After yeah. all that? Yeah, 100%. How yeah. come? I think it would, just, it would just be really cool to, like you said, spend a week not being attached to your phone because my generation now, it's like the ha- like your phone is always the in your hand. The 11th digit. Yes. So I think it would be really cool to just not have that going on in the back of your mind because I know 
everyone with a phone, you'll hear a ping, you need to put it on silent. It's like a great distraction. So I think it would be cool to, yeah, spend time. Well, I, I, I could reminisce with you about those days, but mm-hmm. I, I, all I'll say in, in, a, in a brief sentence or two was it was a much more pleasant, yes. easier, quieter existence. There's no doubt I about can it. Imagine. And if, if, if I could assassinate whoever it was <laughs> <laughs> early on, I yes. probably would. Ooh, don't do that. I think you'd definitely get cancelled then. Back in a bit. Welcome back. Ryan got united. Let's go, girls. And um, yeah, thank. You. I, I, I don't. I, I don't know. I've never bought a Shania Twain record or CD or downloaded anything to my Spotify favorites. Mind you, I'm very limited musically anyway in my in my taste. But she she is hugely popular, and she's going to play not only the September the nineteenth, but also the twentieth uh, in 2023. One hundred million albums this lady has sold I mean that is remarkable and I was trying to figure out do I know her because sometimes you go do they all run into the same is it Shania Twain or is it somebody else or you know or, or, but then I thought you know, actually there's a feral whack of tunes she has such as Cause I'm keeping you forever and for always we will you don't know that one? Together all of our days. Give us another one here you know this one hang on it's kind of backhanded, isn't it? You're, yeah, you're still, you know, <laughs> didn't feel like as joyful. Oh, it was always you. It always will be. And you're still the one. <laughs> Jeez, is there anyone else? No, just still. Anyway, what about this one? Okay, so you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me much. Don't fight it, lads. Don't fight it. Concede. Concede. That don't impress me much. Ah, you know what? I'm getting into this whole thing. I'm 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 thinking ticket time. Shimian, yeah, impossible not to. With Philip Colum Tobin, who has a new book of essays out called A Guest at the Feast. And this is how the interview started. I found myself having serious misgivings, laughing out loud, not just once, but three times at the very first essay in the book, because it was about your joust with testicular cancer. Um, <laughs> was I meant to laugh yeah, or am I, I am. being an awful SH1T? Look, I, I promised during chemo that I will not write, I hate those books, you know, my battle against cancer. I will not write one. But about six months later, I found myself, um, I mean, I got a first sentence in my head and it wouldn't go away and I wrote it down. And you'll see it's still there. And it's called It All Started With My Balls. And once I wrote that, I had a sort of tone and, and it was, I, you know, the big thing was not to do my battle or not to do my pit, you know, feel really sorry for me because I went through all this. But anyone who's been through chemo knows that you really, 
no one else who hasn't been through it can guess what it is you're suffering. And the thing is, if you can't make that funny, then, then you know, go and get a day job, you know, get a proper job because, um, to tr- you see, you, you see, there's no need to make it sad because people know it's sad. Well, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have thought about going mining for comedy gold in this, but just by way of example, so people know what we're talking about, uh, you write, I couldn't drink alcohol. I still had no appetite for food. I was skinny and miserable and bald. I couldn't sleep. I found walking hard. I had only one ball, but there was really nothing to complain about. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose... I suppose... I suppose what I mean is that I wasn't really in fierce pain. You know, there wasn't, like, there wasn't, the ambulance wasn't coming. But, you know, yeah, I just, I just tried to find a way of describing the whole business um, without, you know, tr- without moaning too much. Colin Dobeen. Over on Bowman on Sunday, the birth of your very favourite medium, radio. And there is an awfully connection. And from the archives, the delightfully named Bunny Goodbody, whose grandfather was a friend of Marconi's. And he invited him to stay in his house and work on his radio. But Marconi needed money and investors. A dinner party was duly held. And at the conclusion of dinner, the butler was told to put a Waterford bowl, glass bowl, um, upside down in the middle of the dinner table. Marconi produced an electric bell and a small black box with various little bits and pieces on top of the bowl, demonstrated that there were no wires or anything up his sleeve or anything like that, and said, I am going to ring that bell as many times as any of you gentlemen care to ask me, but I won't ring it from this room. I shall go into the playroom, which is down the hall, and I'd like one or two of you to accompany me. And um, I will give a demonstration as to how this thing that I have perfected, I think, works. So Marconi walked out to the playroom together with these two witnesses and pressed his key three times. And in the dining room, the bell rang three times in the middle of the table. And they came back in, said, well, did it work all right? And Perry said, splendid, Marconi, very well done. Were you pressed, gentlemen? And they all said they were. While all this was going on, two of the assembled company became colder and colder and icier and icier, stood up, said to Grandfather, we would like our carriages, please. Grandfather said, sorry, is there anything wrong? Very much indeed, Perry, we will have nothing to do with witchcraft. Turned round and stalked out, and that was the end of a beautiful friendship as far as that was concerned. But radio was on its way and have a listen to the very first broadcast here in Ireland. And this was how it all began. Douglas Hyde, later to be the first president of Ireland, opening this station, then known as 2RN, on January the 1st, 1926. The call sign had been agreed internationally, and 2RN was chosen because it reproduced phonetically the last three syllables in the song title, Come Back to Erin. The Dick Smith Trio was the first Cayley band to be heard on 2RN. But some voices were not to be heard. Notorious devil man, Bing Crosby for one. Crosby with the Rhythm Boys, 1928. Cornet solos, Big Spiderbeck. But on 2RN, 
Jazz was at. Evil, said de Valera, to the Thorn, and he was opposition. Touren ignored this new wave in music. The bishops thundered against it, the devil's music. From Bowman on Sunday. And if not quite the devil's music, if you like it dark, you'll like this. What's he building in there? What the hell is he building in there? He has subscriptions to those magazines. He never waves when he goes by. He's hiding something from the rest of us. He's all to himself. I think I know why. He took down the tire swing from the pepper tree. He has no children of his own, you see. He has no dog. He has no friends. And his lawn is dying. And what about all those packages he sends? What's he building in there? With that hook light on the stairs. What's he building in there? I'll tell you one thing. He's not building a playhouse for the children. What's he building in there? Phelan Drew from that dark Bank Holiday Monday special with the orchestra. And as we move from the burnished embers of October into the darker skies of November, all week long, Nature Nights. The words Laudato Si literally mean praise be. And it's the phrase that St Francis of Assisi used when he wrote the Canticle of Creation, that beautiful poem that talks about Brother Sun and Sister Moon. He wrote that on his deathbed. And what it really signifies is something that's very close to Pope Francis' heart. It's about rediscovering a certain way to look at the world that looks at the world not as a problem that we have to solve, and there's many problems that we do need to solve, but above all, the world and our experience of life is a gift. Yesterday, while looking at our weanling cattle, I encountered some hawks flying over the farm. They were in unison with the earth, hunting, living and creating new life by these fields. There was, on the farm, a unison of nature, and it reminded me, even if I did not already need reminding, that the environment around us is our most precious commodity. It's a gift that we have to contemplate, contemplate almost every day when we wake up, rediscover that miracle, almost with childlike eyes. To 
discover the sacredness of life, the miracle of life, and in that way, really appreciate with deep gratitude what the gift of life means. Lorna Gold and John Connell. And as a celebration of the natural world and its creatures, Nature Nights was a really beautiful listen. For Ella McSweeney and Stephen Cotter, it is in the darkness that you find the magic and the moths. Oh. Oh, that's wonderful, Ella. Let me show you. Oh, my Lord. Now, how do we even begin to describe what we're looking at now? So it's about an inch long... And it's got a variety of different colours, a sort of a lime colour, a dark black colour, white, all in different patterns all the way down its body. And it's got a remarkable sheen to it as well. What's it called? Well, this has probably got the best name of all. (laughs) It's a French name, and it's Merveille du Jour, which is the marvel of the day, which is a special name for a special moth. This is probably the most sought-after moth, or the one we get most excited about at this time of year. It's not that common. It favours old oak. My kids call this the mint chalk, or the mint moth. If you see it up against the coloured lichen, that really does really blend in there, Mm. and that's what it's no doubt evolved for. So this is camouflaged against lichen? This is fantastically camouflaged. What a beauty. It's an absolute privilege to see what I see. People are asleep, nobody's around, and I'm surrounded by all this incredible wildlife. And you feel, and I go to work afterwards, I just feel really, just feel really good. It's, it's more than that. It gives you a sense of place, I think, as, and, um, and just a real appreciation and, uh, for our world, you know, that's for sure. Flying wonders in the black. And all week long in Custodians of Ireland, Michelle Brown explored the love so many people have for the wildlife on this island. And she also brought us some rather beautiful bird song. Some of the sounds we are hearing less and less of are those of the lapwing. And redshank. And Dunlin. and it would be most unlikely that you would come across a red-necked phalarope. The sound we had to source from an album of bird sounds.
Such a beautiful listen. Just some of the programming from Nature Nights from last week. Well, that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. I'm not here next week, but I'll be back the week after. Talk to you then. <laughs>